Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Hello, welcome to the Emerald Podcast Series. My name is Thomas and my guest today is Eric Kwame Adai, an Assistant Professor of Public Relations at Drake University School of Journalism and Mass Communication, USA. He was a communications consultant for over 15 years in Ghana. His research areas include Afrocentricity, CEO activism, corporate social responsibility and sustainability, corporate social advocacy, and social justice. He is also the author of the book, CEOs on a Mission, part of the Emerald series, Communicating Responsible Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. For more information on the book series, please visit our website. Eric Kwame Adai, thank you very, very much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure for me to be on this call with you uh, to share some thoughts about my research in CEO activism. Fantastic. So uh, you have your book. Can I first ask, well, what is it? What is it? Wow. You know, traditionally, companies are set up to make money or to achieve some strategic goals. They are not normally uh, concerned about greater good causes, what happens in the society, social good, uh, race relations, and uh, the climate and environmental issues, for example. But we are seeing a certain marked change where companies are beginning to concern themselves with such things that normally are not directly related to making money. They are pursuing missions beyond their strategic goals. Uh, my research it tells me that there are various corporate agents that may be spearheading such uh, initiatives. One, sometimes you see the company itself pursuing such courses. Sometimes we also see shareholders or investors doing this kind of uh, activism. Uh, we also have some brands like Coca-Cola, Nike, pursuing such greater good causes. And then we also have sometimes employees of the organization pursuing social good. When we talk about CEO activism, we are talking about situations where uh, the CEO, the leader of the organization, speaks up publicly, takes up public stances on issues that may not be directly related to the ability of their companies to make money. I can give you some examples. For example, in 2012, uh, it's been reported that Dan Cathy, the CEO of the restaurant chain Chick-fil-A in the U.S., announced his opposition to same-sex marriage on a radio show. That's a public stance, for example. Also, in 2015, we have an ex another example of Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, taking up a column in the Washington Post and registering his outrage at some religious freedom bills that he thinks will legalize discrimination in the society. Uh, also, in 2016, we find that over 100 Fortune 500 CEOs signed an open letter in opposition to proposed legislation in North Carolina that would limit transgender individuals' access to the public uh, restrooms and other facilities. And also in 2017, we remember the gentleman called former President Tr Donald Trump of the USA? Aha! In 2017, on the eve of President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord, about 30 CEOs took out a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal urging him not to do that, that it's ill-advised, that he should stay in the, in the Climate Accord and help 
belong to the positive voices that will be contributing to the welfare of humanity, protecting the climate. Yeah, so when we talk about CEO activism, that's what we're talking about. Instances where CEOs, as corporate agents, unique corporate agents, doing something, speaking up, taking action, and concerning themselves with controversial, normally controversial issues that may have nothing to do with the ability of their companies to make money. And my research also indicates, for example, that sometimes some of these stances actually uh, imperil their organizations. So you wonder, why do they do that? Yes. What, what, is, what is driving this? That was the big question coming to me. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my research took me into a basic uh, understanding of why would an organizational leader uh, find himself or herself doing this. And I find that there are so many, many uh, motivations driving this kind of actions. For example, generally, we can talk about a desire for social change. We are seeing what some scholars call uh, a democratic deficit in society. Uh, when we talk about democratic deficit, we are talking about a certain wide gulf, disjuncture between what governments promise and what they are able to deliver. Essentially, what we find on the ground is that governments, politicians, overpromise, but hopefully underdeliver. So there's this deficit or huge democratic gap, which uh, becomes unsettling for business leaders. So in a bid to step into the gap and help bridge it, we find CEOs now feeling that finding the need to do something to become activists, holding placards suing uh, area public officials and doing things like that. We also see that there are some companies that are established on to achieve certain missions rather than money. So we see a certain uh, dichotomy between the pursuit of mission or money. <laughs> some wonder whether uh, they are at polls, whether it's an either-or situation. But, but we are seeing that there are some CEOs who are motivated and because they believe that you can achieve both mission and money that they are not at polls, right? And, and 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 whenever those CEOs find out there's something happening in society that affects or runs counter to the mission, the purpose, the reason for which the company is set up, they find a need to, to do something. For example, let me give you one example. The ice cream brand Ben and Jerry's, we dig into their DNA, they say they stand for peace, love, and ice cream. <laughs> so when they see that anything is so something is happening in society that threatens the peace, that threatens love, there's some uh, hatred, there's some uh, uh, ill will, or there's some discrimination against some section of society, mainly the vulnerable in society, they feel they need to do something. And we find organizations like Google and the like who have invested in uh, building certain uh, uh, you know social justice, issues in the society. So when they see that these things are being threatened, it's, they see it as an erosion of the investment they've made in society. They see it as an, an affront to their social investment. So the CEOs find a need to now, hey, defend their theft, <laughs> right? Do something. So we have the corporate purposes driving this. We have the desire for social change driving this. But we also find that there are some CEOs who do this purely based on their personal convictions and their uh, background characteristics. Some come from a background of adversity. And so they have this fellow feeling, this empathy for uh, people, the vulnerable in society. 
And because of that background, now they see themselves uh, walking the corridors of power. But they are still in tune because of the, of the background with the challenges, the problems, uh, the headaches, the sleeplessness that others face in society. And they feel the need to do something. So these are some of the uh, 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 motivations. But we also see that some companies or CEOs engage in activism as calculated business decisions. They do it because it helps them to achieve, not because it helps them to advance welfare in society as such, or only advancing welfare in society, but because it helps them to also achieve their business goals. Okay, okay. Is this in some way related to, say, a few years ago, we we're talking about the rise of the ethical investor and the ethical consumer? Is it, does this relate? Yeah, it relates to that very, very much. So uh, you are trying to be ethical, but it, it, when you dig deeper, you see that that ethical standpoint may well be just a veneer. <laughs> it, may, it may just be very performative, and uh, and it's, it's the major reason why you find that they are doing some of these things maybe to be able to achieve their business goals. For example, my interview, my research in Ghana uh, on Earth, one particular CEO who says, that, wow, I'm an activist because, you know, Eric, we are a financial institution. And because of my economic activism that I do, questioning the political or the economic policies of the, of the government of Ghana, that has positioned me the CEO and my company, as good stewards of economic resources. And because of that public image, we are able to go pick up funds from the, from the various funding sources in the country at about 2% lower than our competitors. That means that our cost of funds are lower. And if we are able to now on land, we have a wider spread. That's a clear reason why people do activism. But I sought out to do some research within the African context. And I found that there are some unique Afrocentric motivations driving uh, this CEO activist in the country of Ghana. One motivation I found was the philosophy or worldview some call Caritas. Caritas is a very interesting worldview. It's, it's that idea that, wow, you have to be your brother's keeper, as we learn in the Bible. For example, if you're a powerful person in society, it doesn't mean that you should be divorced and be cruel and only be focused on making money. That your good, your value in society depends how much on how helpful you are to others, how merciful you are, your loving kindness, uh, empathy uh, towards other people in society. So we find that th these issues of a God or faith-derived uh, call on, on CEOs to to, to be better people, to be better human beings, and to belong to the positive voice in society also drives them to be activists, all right? And then there's a, this unique Afrocentric philosophy we call Ubuntu. Ubuntu is very interesting. It's a Zulu term. Ubuntu is a Zulu uh, philosophy that simply means that I am because you are, or I am because of others. Essentially, what we are trying to say is that if you are powerful, you are rich, you are famous, you are a CEO, you are uh, a, a chief or a traditional leader, you are a politician in society, your value is not judged so much by how well you do for yourself. Your value for society is not based on how much money you have in your account. It's not based on the size of your bank account. It's not based on the engine capacity of your car. It's not based on how monstrous your car is, how huge it is, or the kind of mansion or villa you live in. But your value in society is measured 
mainly according to your social impact. How many people are you able to lift up? So the idea of rising by lifting others up, that is the Ubuntu philosophy. And I find that this idea is a strong motivation for CEOs in, in Ghana to become activists. I also learned that another strong uh, motivation is the notion of Afri-capitalism, and which we must uh, try to dissociate or divorce from neoliberal capitalism. When we talk about neoliberal capitalism, it's all about dog eat dog, making money, being competitive, and being the winner, being the baddest, right? <laughs> but when we talk about Afri-capitalism, the idea that Africa really needs the private sector businesses to step in and contribute meaningfully by being inclusive, by promoting inclusive capitalism and helping to develop the society. So, so that if you are a company, your role is not just to make money for yourself. Your role is also supposed to be to contribute and help develop by partnering with various individuals, by, with various organizations, with the government, with other organizations, with the international community and development partners. It's an idea that was uh, a management philosophy that was introduced by a gentleman called Tony Elumelu, who is a Nigerian businessman and owns a group of companies, including United Bank for Africa, UBA Group, right? And he advocated for this. And I find that this is a very strong motivation also for CEO activism. And then finally, a unique uh, motivation I found is that some notions of, uh, of postmodernism. Within management philosophy, in a way, we can talk about two main types of ideologies, right? Some, uh, some lean towards what we call modernism, which is the dominant paradigm, where it's the corporate interest that should hold sway at all times. Everything that is done should inure to the benefit of the corporation. But we are finding that, wow, there are some postmodern values where uh, the organizational system is seen as a as, as power play. And uh, people can use the resources that, that they have within the organization, their position, for great effect for, for, for the advancement of society, even if it means working sometimes against the corporate interest. You see that that runs counter to the modernist perspective. And we find that there are CEOs who are doing this and sometimes they stand against the interests of the organization. They sacrifice their corporate advantages in order to promote or provide the great uh, things that will be to the greater good. So these are some of the motivations that I find are contributing within the African context to CEO activism. I'm very interested if you can give me some uh, examples of CEOs you've seen in Africa who are, who, are, who are doing this. Wow, there are so many CEOs in Africa that we can talk about. <laughs> For, I, I mean, impliedly, I refer to Tony Elumoli already. He has been advocating and calling on the private sector businesses to step into the gap and try to develop uh, uh, the society through his notion of Africa capitalism. So he has been an advocate for African capitalism, where he's talk, talk, talking about what a different ideology for companies to become more positive and contribute more meaningfully to the society. That is one. There's this a group that they call Executive Women's Network. This is a group of women CEOs 
You know, Ghana and generally in Africa is a very patriarchal society. But a few women have broken the proverbial glass ceiling and they have risen to the commanding heights of corporations and they are running. Some are leading banks like Barclays, some are running Stanchat, some are running many other powerful media organizations and the like. And they've come together to form this executive women network and they are been advocating for increased gender diversity within corporations. We find that within corporations, especially when it comes to top management and the boardrooms, women are poorly represented. So these women have been advocating and fighting to get more, to improve gender diversity in management uh, of corporations in Ghana and on the boards. So that's another group that I can talk about. In 2019, Ghana is an emerging democracy. We, this is our current uh, fourth democratic uh, experiment. We are the fourth democracy, uh, of, uh, you know, constitutional rule in Ghana. And um, in 2019, there was an interesting situation where a business leader called Juliet Ya Asantua Asanti, she, she, she became very unsettled and went on a protest march. Because what has happened? Whenever there's an election in the country, it turns bloody. It becomes like, you know, a, a winner-takes-all thing. It becomes like a do-or-die affair. And she realized that this was, was very explosive, that it, uh, those uh, uh, political vigilantes that perpetrate, uh, uh, you know, violence during elections, uh, the, those goons and macho men who go about intimidate people, causing fear and panic, that's not good enough. So she went on a demonstration, one-woman demonstration, carrying placards and challenging the politicians, calling on the president to ban and, and proscribe uh, such things. And it led to positive results. That's another example. So, Thomas, I'll give you one more example. There's this gentleman who runs a TV station called City TV in Ghana. He also runs uh, the FM station called City FM. And the city online, his name is uh, Samuel Atamensa. What he did was that in uh, 2019, he, re he, he realized that as a people in Ghana, although we produce rice, which is one of the staple crops in the country, Ghanaians tend to favor foreign, foreign imported rice, rice imported from outside, from Thailand, from Bangladesh, from China, from Singapore. And they, they've acquired a taste for foreign rice. And that, that makes us, as a country that is poor, as developing, we spend the little foreign exchange resources we have to import more and more of those, uh, of those produce, right? To the neglect of our own local, local varieties. So he, he went on the, on the rampage, I'll say, on social media and was advocating for all Ghanaians in the lead up to the Christmas festivities, which is when uh, we consume a lot of rice, calling on Ghanaians to patronize locally grown rice. That has nothing to do with his business of running a TV station, a radio station, and online, an online platform. But that was what he did. And he did a very effective campaign. And that encouraged and emboldened many local uh, rice brands to come up more. And then what he posted days after will, will break your heart. He said that, wow, and now all the companies that had contracts 
advertising contracts to advertise their foreign imported rights on his TV and radio stations cancel those contracts. They said, big deal. He doesn't care because Ghana wins because he knows he has, he has achieved his goal of promoting locally grown rice. These are some examples of uh, CEO activists that you, I can talk of. There are so many more, but let's, let's, let's leave it. <laughs> that is fascinating. And I'm wondering, uh, having lived in China where people don't normally debate politicians, but they will debate CEOs. CEOs are much higher profile in China than they are in the West, in my experience. Do you find there's a difference between how CEOs are looked at in West Africa compared to, say, the USA? Well, how you are looked at as a CEO within the African context, I think is it depends on what you advocate, how you posture yourself relative to issues that matter to people. Is your activism, can it be regarded as progressive activism? Or is it just neutral because you sit on the fence? Or can your activism be deemed to be regressive? Because you can also speak out in ways that drive the clock of progress backwards. So if you are, your, your, your activism is uh, more positive, which means that you are living according to the Ubuntu values where you are doing things to help others rather than to hurt other people. Then people will hold you, they will applaud you, they will support you, they will defend you. But if your actions are seen to be either neutral, it means you are sitting on the fence, or it's seen as rather supporting the negative voices in society, then people will come at you. Yeah, because presumably if people strongly disagree with the CEO, you know, they will not buy. Yes, there's a strong effect. Actually, my research, <laughs> interestingly, found that there's a strong correlation between the kind of actions that a CEO takes and some business outcomes, right? In fact, I found uh, a certain hierarchy of effects, uh, which creates the impression of an inverted pyramid. Where, when you see your activism, it can produce positive outcomes for the society. For example, deepening democracy, protecting the environment, fighting for the rights of women and children and girls in society, uh, improving gender diversity in boardrooms and in management. Yeah, those are positive outcomes, right? Empowering the youth. But then I also found below the wider societal outcomes, which generally are positive, I also found that there may be mixed, it may be a mixed bag of outcomes for the, the CEO's company and the CEO's person <laughs> himself or herself, right? So it's a mixed bag. For example, uh, so CEO activism can be associated with what good outcomes for the company, where people, it influences positively purchase decisions, people's intention to buy your product or services. If you are a good CEO that is doing activism that uh, promotes the general welfare of people in society, uh, people tend to uh, favor your brand, prefer your company and the product it's offerings, and they buy more of what you have to offer. But when, when you don't do activism or when, when you, 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 you speak to issues that uh, harm other people, then people can take up, can stand against you. All right? Uh, another benefit of, the, of activism to the company is obviously when you, you speak to great, greater good issues, for example, uh, the media covers those issues. They cover what you're saying. So there's some media profiling, there's some publicity, 
value that you can you can earn. You 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 place your organization in a good light. For example, one CEO that I spoke to said that wow, they hardly spend any money uh, on advertising because he has positioned himself as a CEO activist and is always punching holes in the economic, in the economic policies of the government of Ghana. And whenever he speaks on those controversial issues, the media pick his things up. They interview. He's always in the TV stations talking about it. And he's always introduced as a CEO of blah, blah, blah company and all that. So his activism has some promotional value. But then there are some, there are some negative consequences for companies as well. The government can come, can come very hard on you. Yes. A big part of that is the, uh, you know, they unleash their, what I call their Rottweilers on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the various uh, uh, food and drug administration, the various supervisory and regulatory bodies uh, can, be, can be unleashed on you where they are always breathing down your back, your neck, asking for this, asking to come do this audit and that audit to the extent where that you, not, you will not have the time, the mind space to even focus on your core business. I'm thinking of an example in China, well-known, a well-known CEO who always said the right things, was much loved. And then he criticized the government and suddenly he had uh, a tax audit that did not go very well for him. Yeah, yeah. And also, some, if you are a CEO, people can now shun your company. There are people who, know, who refuse to do business with you because of your activist stance. Right, and because uh, they say that they that touch peach get their hands stained, so they don't want to touch you, right? They don't want to be associated with you. Uh, but it can also come with negative replications. If you are a CEO activist, I find that some have been threatened, some have been bullied online, some have lost their jobs, especially if you don't own the the company that you run. Yes. Yep. So you can be fired. And uh, some have been arrested and detained. Some have gone jogging and people want to run them over with cars. Some have had their, 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 their tires slashed at car parks. They are brakes tampered with. It can be a very dangerous thing to do. Yes. yes. And I'm curious, we're talking about companies representing themselves externally. If they're saying these things to the public, are they doing these things inside the company? <laughs> Ah, so so one tactic that uh, I find also empirically is what I can describe as activism by living by example. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what they kept, some of the CEOs kept telling me is that you cannot be doing something externally while doing the obvious within your company. You cannot be championing gender freedom, women's rights, social protection while being uh, oppressive towards your own employees. So you have to practice what you preach internally because people are going to see and they're going to see whether your actions are just hypocritical, whether they're just a cover-up, whether they're just a veneer for you to achieve profit, derive profit, or whether you really mean it. And one way, one acid test for that is for them to see how you run your company, how you treat your employees. Are you promoting DEI within the organization? If you are busily carrying placards and issuing statements, fighting laws that discriminate against transgender, LGBTQ, and other people in society, what are the policies within your company? Are they in tune with what you are doing externally or they run counter to it?
Absolutely. And it's an interesting move that companies seem to need to be more and more open, which isn't always what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, whether it, it's not a choice of whether you want to be open or not. Uh, people will always shine their spotlight, especially in this modern era of social media. Yeah. Where communication has been, I'll say, democratized. People can form brand cults and come together, various brand groups, consumer action groups, and they will shine the light and they will expose erring entities in the society, including companies. So you may get away for a short while, but I think it's, it's, it's in your own long-term sustainable interest for you as an organization, for you as a CEO, to really mean what you do and be very honest. Have a higher purpose of protecting and being a positive role in the society. I'm curious, or from what you're saying, do you think this has really changed what a CEO is? Like what, what we need from a CEO? I think it, uh, it's changed because um, even the CEOs themselves that I interviewed uh, keep saying that they are seeing a certain evolution of the role, the, the traditional role of a CEO. That takes them beyond just safeguarding the economic prosperity of their companies. That if you are CEO, your job description does not only include uh, running your business efficiently, but also being a good voice in the society. That people expect CEOs to actually speak on issues. Because if something is going on wrong in a society, something bad is happening in a society, and you, you are not able to leverage your wealth, your celebrity status in society, you are a star if you are a CEO, right? You are not ordinary. You are not a mere mortal. You're not a man of <laughs> you are not a, you are a man, you are a person of substance of some means. People expect you to leverage that to fight for the welfare of all people. That if you don't speak and you remain you decide to remain in your own silo, you are seen as supporting the wrong things in society. And people will vote with their pounds, they will vote with their dollars, and they will vote with their cities for or against your brand and your company. So CEOs have no choice but to be activists. They must. Yes, it's expected. Actually, there's research that supposes that uh, the millennials especially, the more youthful population, they expect CEOs to speak on such matters. And when they are looking for where places to work, the research is very vocal. It's shouting, screaming that when you are an activist, especially when you take on issues that matter to core stakeholders of your organization, it, it's a, it has a direct effect in determining your ability to attract top talent. Yes. So, so for example, uh, millennials and other you know, youthful populations, uh, before deciding who, where to go work or whether to stay in the employment of a company, is determined by uh, the kind of actions that the company takes and the actions of the CEO, the actions of the investors or shareholders, and the like. I can't wait for this to become more routinized, more normalized, and uh, and to be expected as a, a normal thing for companies and their leaders to be doing. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about the Emerald Book Series, Communicating Responsible Diversity, Equity and Inclusion, which includes CEOs on a mission, please visit our website. 
For more information about Eric Kwame Adai and for a transcript of today's episode, please see our show notes on our website. I would like to thank Daniel Ridge for his help with today's episode and also Alex Jungus from This Is Distorted. You've been listening to the Emerald Podcast Series.